Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast. We are celebrating Pentecost in the church on June 9th. It's the time when we, it's kind of like the birthday for the church, but we also celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit into our world and changing everything. So I'm going to read two passages today, uh, slightly longer than normal. We're going to read the first four verses of Acts 2. This will be a passage that's read at a lot of churches on Sundays, beginning of the story of Pentecost. And then I'm going to jump to Acts 17 and talk about Paul and his uh, reactions to and interacting with folks in the city of Athens. So first, uh, let me read Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house while they were where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. And now jumping to Acts 17, and this will be verses 16 through 34. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and asked him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life Sorry, since he, give him, gives, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we, too, are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead." When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, but others said, We will hear you again about this. At that point, Paul left them. But some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysius, the Areopagite, 
and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. May God's blessing be on the reading and hearing of this word, even when I mispronounce names. (laughs) Well, we are coming up, I've mentioned before, on kind of an anniversary of sorts for Urban Village. July 1st, technically, is the first day, 2009, when we started uh, telling people and really on the ground beginning to plant this new church. And so uh, nine months after that, we started our first site. And then about six months after that, we launched our second site in Wicker Park. The Wicker Park site started off pretty well. Uh, We worshiped on Sunday nights and then slowly over the next few months, it started to slowly decrease and we weren't quite sure what to do, whether we should just close that site altogether, we try something new. And so in the midst of all of this discernment, we started to wonder, uh, whereas before Trey Hall, the other co-founder and myself were sharing the load of different sites. And so we were wondering, do should one of us really take ownership of one of the sites? And so we were discerning about who would take which site. And I remember walking around Wicker Park uh, one day. Now, for those who aren't familiar with Chicago, uh, traditionally Wicker Park, at least in the last 20 plus years or so, it's gotten a reputation as being kind of a hipster neighborhood, a lot of young adults who live there. In recent years, it's been gentrified more and more, so it's not quite the case. But back, I have a memory of when I was walking around Wicker Park and discerning whether I should stay in the South Loop and help oversee that site, whether Trey should go to Wicker Park or vice versa. And I remember walking around Wicker Park that day, and there's some kind of cool independent stores there, lots of people with tattoos, wearing stocking caps and beards, making great coffee, all of that. And I was walking around Wicker Park that day, I was in my mid-40s. I had on kind of classic uh, white male uh, uniform, had my khakis, had my polo shirt on. As I was walking around Wicker Park, at least a generation older than most of the folks in Wicker Park, feeling um, like I wasn't really dressed for the neighborhood, I thought to myself, I don't think I'm quite the fit for Wicker Park. And so when Trey and I decided that Trey was going to be the one at Wicker Park, I thought this is probably the best idea. And it worked out great. He Trey helped relaunch Wicker Park, and it's doing well. But as I think back on it, I wonder if I should have spent a little bit more time really praying and thinking about uh, who should go where before just assuming right away that I didn't have the stuff for it. Well, we are now in the second week of our sermon series that we are calling Beyond Invitation. Often in June is when we talk about evangelism. From the beginnings of Urban Village, we've tried to reclaim this word evangelism in the practice. And so what we're trying to do is thinking about how can we uh, save, reclaim this word evangelism and practice radical hospitality and go beyond the process of just sharing our faith. And rather than just inviting people into our spaces, which is what we talked about last week, but how do we go out and be the church? How do we be the people of God in the flesh? So after last week's sermon, if you listened to that, maybe you're uh, so inspired by what I said that now you've decided, yes, I, I have the courage to actually go out, not just invite people in, but how do I go out to where they are and be the church? So the next question for you probably is, how do I do this? I mean, I've prayed about it and I have the courage to do this, but what's the process? So understandably, the first emotion you might have in thinking about how do I go about doing this is nervousness. I don't know what to say. That's a question we get a lot when we talk about evangelism, faith sharing, and, and being the presence of God in the world. And I think a lot of folks are nervous because they think there's a script. 
like there's a certain uh, something that I'm supposed to say, and then if the other person responds in this way, then I'm supposed to come back with this other counterpoint and so on. And I think for some, when we talk about evangelism in our history, there are some who, who believe that there is, there is a magic dialogue. If you go on a search engine and type in evangelism tracts, T-R-A-C-T-S, there are plenty of just little pieces of paper or brochures that people, maybe you've received one of these, and there's the simple laws of faith and people handing these out, and they think if you just believe these four things, then voila, the person is going to come to Christ. But Paul, in this passage that we read from Acts today, Paul shows another way. And I think he does a couple of things that I think are important to highlight. And it goes beyond just having the right magic words. But he does a couple of things when it comes to being out in the community and evangelism that I think is important for us to um, reflect on and to utilize in our own lives. So I want to jump in at Acts 17, the very first few words of what I read today, starting at Uh, Chapter 17, verse 16, and the first few words say this, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens. So a little bit of background. Paul did not probably come to Athens to preach, but instead he was waiting for some colleagues, Silas and Timothy. The three of them were causing some commotion in other cities, and sometimes they were kicked out of a city. Sometimes people were arguing with them, and so they felt like it's best for us to leave. And so some scholars wonder if they're just coming to Athens to take a break. But eventually, Paul could not help himself in engaging and talking with other folks. We don't know that these first few words don't tell us exactly how long Paul was waiting. But I think he was there long enough to begin a sense of the city, which was one of the ancient Mediterranean world's centers of intellectual sophistication. So Paul, if you go back to and reflect on this passage, Paul goes to lots of different places. He goes to the synagogue, and he goes to the marketplace, and he goes to the uh, Areopagus, which was a a place, it was both a physical location, but it was also the name of a group, of a council of elders. This was the place where people would come and interact with one another. They would argue with one another, have big philosophical ideas, talk politics. This was the place to be. So Paul dives in, in all of these different places. And in a way, when he engages with some of the folks, we learn and we pick up on the fact that he seems to be listening. I mean, he gets to know his audience. Again, we don't know exactly how long he spent in Athens, but we, we have a sense that he, he knows the city because later on he quotes some Greek poets to the crowd. He says to them, in him we live and move and have our being. And he also says, we are his offspring. So Paul is quoting Greek poetry to the, to the people there as a way of saying to them, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I've been around your city, I'm, I'm getting a sense of, of who you are and your context and your culture. And I think this is really important for us because evangelism, when we think about it, it is, it is not for us to take these tracts, these brochures, these pamphlets. It is not having a stock speech and just going out and sharing these things. I think good evangelism, first and foremost, is about listening and watching and observing. We say at the when I read from the passage in Acts 2, it talks about Pentecost, and it said that all of those gathered were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other languages. And Later on in the Pentecost story, we read that people are able to hear and understand in different languages, which causes them some confusion. 
So language is a big part of the Pentecost story. I'm always impressed. I know there are quite a few people at our church who can speak another language. And I'm always really impressed with that. There's some years where I think, all right, my New Year's resolution is to begin to learn Spanish a little bit more. I mean, I took it a year in high school. I took a semester in college. I've gone on the Duolingo app and tried to make my way through it and uh, go in fits and starts. And so that New Year's resolution has kind of fallen by the wayside a little. So I'm always really impressed with people who can speak different languages. And people often talk about, oh, I wish I could, I wish I could speak a different language. But what would it mean instead to, to listen a different language, to observe a different language. Before we just jump in and try to, to, to speak the words, I think it's really important for us to first to listen. This is what Paul is doing in Athens. He's getting a sense of the city rather than just barging in right away. Now he does barge in a little bit, depending on the translation of the text, he's getting into it with people. But I think because Paul seems to know Athens, and so he has, I'm guessing he has spent some time getting to know who's there. So rather than just saying, this is who I am, this is what I believe, um, and just beginning to proclaim and preach, Paul has taken time to listen and get a sense of things. So I think when we have the courage to go out into communities, and if we are committed to, in some way, sharing our faith, I think it's important to not worry so much first about what am I going to say, but how am I going to listen? How am I going to observe? How am I going to learn? Now, sometimes this is hard for some. They like to go in right away and uh, just let their opinions be known without listening or observing. I think when we talk about certainly some of our anti-racism work, and that this is hard sometimes for white people, they just go into a context and they just assume that everybody wants to hear what I have to say. Or, you know, we hear the phrase mansplaining, that men sometimes are guilty of just, I know what's best. I'm just going to tell you all what to do and it'll be fine. But Paul, first, I think, is listening and observing. And this is the first clue that we need to do that when we think about our own, how do we share our faith? But Paul doesn't just listen. He gets to know, as I noted, he gets to know the person in the context, but he also exhibits appreciation rather than ownership or condemnation. Paul starts off and he says to them, I see that you are in every way religious. He says he has looked carefully at all of these things. So I think there's a bit of appreciation by what Paul is observing. Paul isn't just listening, but he's, he's getting a sense. These people are, have open hearts. They seem to really want to, to know more. And so it's not just listening, but it's listening with appreciation. It's getting a sense of the culture and the context. I'm going to show a video uh, in worship, a really lovely video uh, about these two um, hearing impaired uh, men who are showing people how to sign, especially as we're in Pride Month, he's, they're showing people how to sign uh, words for Pride Month. So they are signing words like gay and lesbian and queer. And then they come to one word, intersex, and they both admit, and they're signing this, and there's subtitles in the video, and I'll post this link to my Podbean page. And when it comes to the word intersex, they realize there's not really a word yet for that, rather than just spelling it out in letters. And one thing that they say that I really appreciate is they want to, rather than just making up language, uh, they are also they want to get a sense from those who are who do identify as intersex. What sign would make sense for them? What is a sign that would um, take their own thoughts and feelings and, and life into consideration? 
What is a sign that would be done in appreciation for who they are? And I think that's really done in a, in a lovely way. On the one hand, these two uh, individuals are signing with, with real appreciation and a love for this for sign language in these words, but also an openness. When there isn't a word, they want to first see how should we go about before we just make something up. So here again, I think this is something for us when we think about sharing our faith. Are we listening? Are we observing? Do we have an appreciation? Are we being patient? Again, rather than just saying, well, this is the way it is. Listening and observing and appreciation are all powerful things uh, as we begin to reflect on how do we share our faith. But in the end, we do have to say something. It's not just about listening and thinking that my way is the best way. And Paul, as we continue to read, he, he is who he is, and he speaks his own truth. He's not deceptive or tricky about their differences. He pretty boldly says that they need to repent. Paul thinks that they need to turn away and turn toward Christ. Uh, and so he's pretty bold about it. But then finally, eventually, some people say, no, we're not interested. And then Paul just kind of says, okay, that's, we t- Paul takes their no as no and then moves on to those who are more interested. Sometimes in evangelism, there's a really tricky thing for those of us who have great appreciation for other faiths, for other uh, people who believe or don't believe in something. So there's that balance between appreciating, honoring their own traditions, while also, uh, and not just saying, well, Um, and not having appreciation, I guess I should say, for your own faith too. For saying, you believe this, and I hear that, and that's great. But then also saying, this is what I believe. And this is what uh, I think is true. So that I think sometimes we may subsume what we believe in order to not have uh, good, healthy uh, discussions. So again, it's, it's hard sometimes to know how can we appreciate something else while also being true to what we believe as well. And this is Paul tries to do that. And we need to claim who we are as Christians, claim who we are in our faith life, being respectful, appreciative of other traditions, where other people are in their own faith life, while also honoring our own faith life and not being embarrassed by it. But believing that the creator of the world we believe came into the world through Christ, and because of that, we have new life. And not to say that mine is better than yours, but to say that I love mine. I love my tradition. I'm going to be true to who I am. And how can I share that in a way that both honors the other, but also honors our own tradition? So I think we we need to have the courage to be able to do that too. And claim or reclaim who we are as Christians. And not just think, well, it's just one other little thing that I believe along with, you know, I think this is a great movie or, uh, oh, I love this restaurant. Our faith is more than that. And how do we claim that and go out in the world and live that out while respecting the other or others that we come across too? So for those of you who listen to the podcast, you may or may not know there's some changes going on right now at our church. We're going to be living into a new staff structure in the next few months. And that includes me too. And so in fact, this was going to be happening pretty quickly. I've been at the South Loop uh, location at Urban Village for uh, uh, as long as we've been worshiping, so nine plus years, we are in the process of exploring what would it mean to add a fifth site and add a site out in the suburbs of Chicago in a suburb called River Forest. 
And so starting next month, I'm going to go out there and begin to explore whether this would make sense for us, which means I won't be at South Loop uh, as much. And so the uh, we have um, a new pastor is coming on board. His name is uh, Chan Choi. And uh, so he will be starting in January this or J- July. This podcast won't change. I'll continue to record um, my podcasts in this way, but where I spend my Sundays will change. And understandably, there are folks who were kind of nervous about that. I'm a little nervous about that. Not that I'm doubting Chan, but it's, you know, I'm moving and others will be hearing a different voice on Sundays. And so that certainly causes a little uh, anxiety. And Chan is nervous about it too. I've met with Chan a couple of times. I had lunch with him on Tuesday. And one of the things I bring all this up is because I've really admired Chan's pastoral heart and the way that he, I think, lives into the way Paul uh, shows us in Acts. And that first, Chan seems to have a really great uh, appreciation and he, he listens very well. Chan grew up in Korea. He came to the United States about eight years ago. And so uh, in many ways, he is still taking in American culture. Uh, this will be the first time that he's lived in the city of Chicago before coming to Urban Village. He pastored a church out in Western Illinois. So this will be new for him. And so people have been giving him uh, things to read uh, and he's been taking it all in uh, and asking lots of good questions. One of, when he sent us his biography, he sent one of our, the members of our staff parish relations committee some interesting tidbits about his life and the person wrote back to him and said, what are some fun things that we can tell people about you? And the, the person asked Chan, so for example, who's your favorite character or who's your favorite person on the show Queer Eye on Netflix? And some of you may or may not have seen that show where a group of uh, five men help people in their own lives, whether it's kind of turn their lives around. And Chan had never seen Queer Eye before. And so he and his wife binged Queer Eye as a, as a way to really get to know uh, who, you know, Urban Village is. And so I talked to him about that. I said, you know, not everybody at Urban Village has watched Queer Eye. I said, I've only seen it a couple times myself. And it was so interesting. Chan switched a little bit from from being one who was really listening and, and learning. He turned into a little bit of an evangelist. He said, oh, you need to watch it saying this to me, you need to watch it. It's really good. There's a really a lot of great lessons here for, for you to listen. And I'm thinking to myself, he's telling me how I can be more uh, uh, in line with and attentive to my own culture. <laughs> so I really appreciated that too about him. And then as we were having conversations too, and I told him, I said, over the last three or four years, I have not been in the neighborhood as much as I, as I should have because in trying to help oversee all of Urban Village, and he immediately said, there are opportunities there. And I was impressed with his enthusiasm to getting to know the neighborhood. And that's, after my lunch with him on Tuesday, I thought we are in good hands because of his ability to listen, uh, his ability to really appreciate, and his ability to kind of be an evangelist. I have no doubt he will be an evangelist for the gospel and an evangelist for Queer Eye in other ways too. And so in some ways, when we get to meet for folks who go to Urban Village, get to know Chan, I think you'll pick up on that too. You know, when we, I, I mentioned in a story last week that sometimes when I was talking, telling the story about wandering around the grocery store and not find, being able to find something. And in some ways, I was wandering around Wicker Park too, uh, wondering who I am, am I the person for this neighborhood? And so evangelism sometimes is just kind of wandering around. But that's not such a bad thing. 
If in our wandering we are listening and we are learning and we are observing and we are appreciating and we get a sense of who's here, then hopefully that helps us to then boldly proclaim what we believe. And so, especially for those who are seeking a a way of life that brings them wholeness and purpose, forgiveness and grace, then we're able to communicate in words and actions who the gospel and what the gospel can be for them. So I hope that we can follow the example of Paul, follow the example of Chan and others in living this out in that way. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening. I feel like today's podcast was a little all over the place with my mispronouncing words in the scripture, my dog barking in the background, and now, I don't know if you can hear this, my son is playing the piano in the background, so it's a little bit of a mess, and I'm not going to go back and re-record this. So, thank you for your patience in listening to this. Uh, I am off next week. Uh, I won't be recording. I'll be back on June 23rd. For those of you who are in Chicago and do go to Urban Village, uh, the 23rd will be my last Sunday at South Loop until, and so I start at River Forest in July. I won't be gone from South Loop forever, but certainly for the foreseeable future, I'll be spending most of my time at River Forest. So if you're in the area and want to come and uh, see me on the 23rd, that's the time to do it. So until the next time that we're together, friends, uh, as always, you can always reach out to me. Uh, Twitter, I'm at Christian Kuhn. Uh, you can go to my website, christiangood.com, and email is christian at urbanvillagechurch.org. And so until then, friends, may the peace of Christ be with you. My, my.